0: Turn to the book of Job, Job chapter 1. When you get there, mark that place in your Bible, please, and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Find Job chapter 1 in your Bibles, and then go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Elect exiles, traveling from this world to the next. Understanding that God has a purpose for us. I don't know how many of you have ever read Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read it it's a Christian classic. It was written by John Bunyan in 1678. And he wrote it while he was in Belshire prison. And he was there because he had violated the law of preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting story. Because it talks about one who moves across his life and journeys from the city of destruction to the celestial city. A lot like us. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior understand that we were lost in our trespasses and sins. Understand that we were dead and that we were headed for destruction. But God wonderfully, mercifully, gloriously, graciously saved us. And now we are elect exiles, recognizing that this world is not where we're going to end up, but we are only in a journey, in a process, going from where we are to where God wants us to be. Now Pilgrim, who is the central character of Pilgrim's progress, leaves with a burden on his back, recognizing that the journey is not an easy journey, understanding that there are a lot of things that we carry, there are a lot of challenges in this life. Now along the way he stops and is refreshed. And there are people who greet him at the door and encourage him and minister to him and help meet his needs a lot like the church family that we have that we call Calvary Baptist Church. I trust that you are refreshed when we get together. I trust that no matter what burden you're carrying, and we all carry them, that when we get together you find someone who's able to put their arms around you and who is able to minister to you and share with you and help bear the burden. I also trust that you have learned to cast your care upon him because he cares for you. That's part of our text this morning. And so a long Pilgrim's journey, He is associated with people who want to help him and minister to him and share with him. But throughout the journey there is an adversary. There is one called Beelzebub. One who gives him difficulty and problems. One who fights with him. One who puts up obstacles no matter where he is. And he has to get through these obstacles. If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, let me encourage you to get it. I think it's even out on audio CD. So those of you who don't read, go pick it up on audio CD. And if you don't like the 1678 translation, there's a modern one called Enchanted Journey. It's kind of a kid's Pilgrim's Progress. And I know it will strengthen you and challenge you. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we have learned a little bit about what success is. We talked a little bit about elders, and we talked a little bit about pastors, and we talked a little bit about bishops, and we talked a little bit about how they are to shepherd the sheep by examples. And last week we began with verse 5. And we discovered there that all of us have the responsibility of being examples to the flock and living in humility. Let me begin there this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and I'm going to read down through verse 9. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now stop right there. We looked at these principles of success. And we understood that it starts with submission. We are under the mighty hand of God. We are to be clothed in humility. We can cast our care upon Him. And exaltation comes from God. Amen? Amen? If we want to be a success, if we want to be successful in what God has called us to these are the principles that need to be in our lives. Now there are two more principles that we need to understand. The first principle is this. That Satan is our enemy. We will find that in the text in just a minute. And the second principle is that we need to be sober-minded. Because this is serious stuff. This is not something that we take lightly. And we have a responsibility to understand that there is danger that lurks out there. That would distract us and disappoint us and depress us and devour us and detour us from the call that God has given to us. Are you still in 1 Peter chapter 5? Our text this morning, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I want you to know this morning that Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Hal Lindsey wrote a book a number of years ago that was titled Satan is alive and well on planet earth. And in his preface he says this, whether we know it or not Satan influences every life to some degree. And until recent years his existence has been doubted. Our churches have denied or underestimated him But he is here alive and well. He was certainly there in the first century. Peter spoke about him. And he is described two ways by Peter. First of all he is described as an adversary and we'll get to that in just a minute. Secondly he is described as the devil. But I think before we study those two descriptions, we need to understand what the Bible says about Satan. So I'm going to very quickly take you through Scripture to help you understand some of the things that he does. As you look at Scripture, you discover that Satan is a serpent. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Scripture says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. I hate snakes. I am told that you can determine a good snake from a bad snake by looking at the heat-seeking glands on the side of his face. I don't want to get that close, thank you very much. If it's heat-seeking, then it's venomous. If it's not, it's okay. Eve got very close to the serpent. In fact not only was more subtle, he was beautiful. I've never seen a beautiful snake. In fact I don't stick around long enough to notice. But Satan is a serpent. And the Bible describes him as a seductive, crafty individual. He's called Lucifer. Angel of light, son of the morning, a beautiful creation of God. And Ezekiel and Isaiah tells us about this wonderful being that God created. I want you to know that Satan is a creation of God. He's not God. But he is a creation of God. He's described as a tempter. He tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And if you want to see how he tempts an individual, study how he tempted Jesus. And if you want to know how to defeat him, study how Jesus defeated him with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. He's also described as the prince of this world. He's described as a dragon in Revelation chapter 20. Paul describes him in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as the God of this world. Jesus said he was a liar. And not only a liar in John chapter 8, but also the father of lies. 2 Corinthians, he's described as an angel like. He can look pretty good. He did to Eve. His ministers are also ministers according to that same passage. Who minister righteousness. He's an angel of light. He is a deceiver according to Revelation chapter 12. And he's a producer of lawlessness. Tells you a lot about the God of this world, doesn't it? Tells you a lot about who Satan is and what he does but peter uses two other descriptions peter says that he first of all is an adversary and as you look at that it has the idea of a courtroom opponent one who wants to twist where you are and make it come out a different way he's not on our side He's not one that we want to represent us. But he is our adversary, even an adversary before God and we'll get to that in just a minute. But not only is he our adversary, he's called the devil. He is a slanderer and accuser. Now both of these terms come from Hebrew terms that are translated Satan. And so this opponent, this adversary, this this one who would convict us if possible is one who misrepresents who we are. Now keep your finger in 1 Peter chapter 5 here and turn back to Job chapter 1, will you please? Job chapter 1. You are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Let me begin with verse 6 of Job chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, there's that word that's translated adversary and the devil in 1 Peter chapter 5. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? I think the Lord knew where he'd come from, don't you? Satan answered the Lord. He said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Boy, he has a pretty good geographical constraint, doesn't he? Any place on the earth. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I'll bet Job wishes that God would have just shut up. I'll bet Job wishes that God would not have recognized him and pointed him out. But that tells you something about Job. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now stop right there. If God were to bring up your name in the annals of heaven, what would he say about you? Have you considered my servant Vern? Have you considered my servant John? Have you considered my, put your name in there. What would he say about Job? He says, there's none like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears me. And he turns away from evil. Wow. Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You blessed him. The work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand So Satan went out of the presence of the Lord, and we know the rest of the story, don't we? Satan was indeed an adversary, an opponent, a slanderer, an accuser before God. And he did that identifying God's people. Satan's tactics have not changed today. Satan is still who he was. And still is there accusing and opposing God's people. We are not exempt. Now back to 1 Peter chapter 5, will you please? Your adversary, the devil. And what's it say? He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to desire, devour. He prowls around. He sneaks up on people. This morning I came in the worship center. Terry Lynn, Terry Lynn, where are you? Tara Lynn was sitting back there with her grandbabies. Tara Lynn had been in the hospital this past week, pulled a muscle in her abdomen and doing well now. And I came up behind her, put my arm on her shoulder, and she jumped. I did not mean to make her jump. I was not trying to be quiet. I It just tells us how good our carpet is. But Satan prowls around. I want you to know something this morning. Satan does not wear a beeper. Satan is not one who gives notice ahead of time. Satan does not have a billboard saying, in two miles you're going to face a temptation. Get ready. Satan prowls around and he prowls around, the scripture says, like a roaring lion. Now, you and I may know something about lions because perhaps we have seen them in a zoo. Have you seen a lion in a zoo? Some of you need to get out more. But every lion I've ever seen in a zoo has been contained usually a deep moat, usually a guarded fence, in an enclosure, and I did not feel threatened at all. In fact, I could stand there and say, Hi, kitty, kitty. All right? That was not Peter's concept of lions. May I remind you that in Peter's day, Rome was throwing Christians to lions? May I remind you that in Peter's day, Christians were being sacrificed in the Colosseum to lions. Peter, if he had not seen firsthand, at least had heard what lions can do to people. Peter understood how dangerous lions were. And so when he describes Satan, our adversary, as a roaring lion, he is describing someone who is not tame, but someone who needs to be very carefully watched. Because you never know when a lion's going to attack. Do you remember Siegfried and Roy? Remember them? They had a show in Las Vegas. It was at the Mirage actually. And it was a show that featured wild live animals, beautiful animals. Lions and tigers. It was a show that began in 1990. But on October 3rd in 2003, Roy, Roy Horn, was attacked. Attacked by a tiger. The tiger whose name was Montecore. He was attacked in such a way that they had to rush him to the only trauma one facility in Las Vegas. And Roy never performed again. When he was taken to the hospital, he said this, Monacor is a great cat. Make sure no harm comes to Monacor. You know why he was attacked? Because tigers do what tigers do. I want you to know something. Satan does what Satan does. And we cannot take him lightly and think that somehow we are exempt because he is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. After October 3rd, the show closed. And 267 cast and crew members were laid off. I tell you that to say this. If you think letting Satan have his way in your life is only affecting you, you're wrong. There were over 250 people who lost their jobs as a result of that attack on Roy Horn. So we do not sin in a vacuum. We do not let Satan have victory without it affecting others. I'm going to do something very dangerous now. I'm going to name some ways Satan attacks us. Now, I say that's dangerous because you may sit there and say, well, that's not mine, and think that he's not attacking you. But let me tell you, Satan's alive and well today. He attacks us, us, through pornography. Statistics will tell us, that at least 20% of the men in any church congregation deal with pornography. Now, I don't know what you deal with, I don't know what you don't deal with, but I'm telling you, that's one of Satan's attacks. Drugs and alcohol are another attack of Satan. Lust, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are attacks of Satan. Now, those may be the biggies, right? Most of us would agree, if not all of us, would agree that pornography is wrong. Most of us, if not all of us, would agree that drugs and alcohol and should not have power over us. Uh, Most of us would understand that lust is a a challenge, is a problem, is a difficult thing to deal with. We we get that, right? But may I remind you that Satan is more subtle than that? How about selfishness? I want what I want. I want it my way. How about justification of our actions? I deserve to be that way. How about just being lazy? Lazy toward the things of God. How about getting caught up in our culture? And allowing our culture to dictate how we live out our Christian lives. Our adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And let me tell you something. He doesn't want to just nibble at us. You ever pet a puppy that just kind of nibbles at you? That's not Satan. He wants to eat us alive and get rid of us. Chewing us up and spitting us out. And he is alive and well. So what do we do about it? Back to our text. Peter begins, verse 8, by saying, Be sober-minded. It has the idea of being calm and cool and controlled. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Is God greater than Satan? Is God greater than any temptation Satan can throw at you? Is God more powerful than anything you will ever face? Yes? Well, in the midst of that, we can be calm and cool cluel- and stay in control because our God is God, and no matter what Satan throws at it, that does not bring God off the throne. Amen? I hope that encourages you. I went to a football game yesterday. Sat in a stadium with 112,000 of my closest friends. The first half was a tale of two quarters. In the first quarter, the home team scored seven points, and the opposing team, you see how I am disguising. I'm trying to protect people. The opposing team had a minus six yards of offense. The home team scored very quickly in the second quarter. I turned to my son-in-law who was sitting next to me and I said, Jamie, I said I don't know what the final score is going to be but it won't be 14 to nothing. During that second quarter the opposing team scored 14 points and it was tied at the end of the half. The second half was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally the opposing team with just less than three minutes to go had a four point lead. The home team had the ball. Had an opportunity to drive down the field And win the game with a touchdown the quarterback dropped back to pass and he threw an interception I have no idea where he was throwing that ball because the opposing team was a whole lot closer to the ball than the home team now some have told me this morning that it's too bad that the home team didn't have a better quarterback. Well, you know what I think happened? He got so excited that he just missed through the ball. I mean, he didn't mean to throw it to the opposite team. That wasn't his intent. He just got excited. Now, I say all of that, and you knew I'd bring it up this morning. <laughs> I say all of that to say this. That when it looks like we're behind, stay cool, stay calm because God's in control. Because otherwise you just might throw an interception. And you want to do that. By the way, that was the only turnover of the game. And the opposing team went down after the interception, scored another touchdown, and that sealed it. Peter says, chill. It's okay. But not only be sober-minded, be watchful. Wake up. Be alert. You can't go to sleep on this one. You can't just relax. Remember that adversarial thing, that roaring lion thing, that devouring thing? You can't go to sleep on this one. Wake up. Be on guard. Be alert. Because he'll hit you when you're not expecting it. And then he says in verse 9, resist him. Withstand him. I think it's interesting here. That he doesn't say, run. (laughs) Did you notice that? He says, resist. He tells us to fight, not flee. That's a good thing. James puts it this way, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. (laughs) Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. resist him remain faithful stand firm in the faith don't give up the faith you as well of i as well as i have known folks who have faced satan have lost the battle and have left Don't give up and don't give in. Stay firm in the faith. How did Jesus stay firm in the faith? He quoted scripture. And why did he do that? Because the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The writer of Hebrews says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? We have an offensive weapon. Someone showed me this morning a custom-made knife that he had just obtained. Cool. We have that offensive weapon. And know that you're not alone. Isn't that what the text says? Peter reminds us that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You have not faced anything that is so specific to you that nobody else has faced it. We're in this thing together, folks. We're elect exiles, we're traveling to the celestial city. The idea here of knowing that others are suffering, I think it's interesting, refers to everybody pays the same tax. (laughs) Isn't that interesting the way that's put in Greek? Everybody's paying the same tax. When you go through the toll, everybody has to put the quarter in. Everybody's got to do it. So, to what I want you to get out of this message this morning, let me give you some truths. Number one, the enemy is real. Yep. He is real. Number two, the enemy looks for opportunities to discourage us, to beat us, devour us. Number three, we need to stay on high alert. Number four, we need to resist him, be firm in our faith. And number five, we're not in this thing alone. Whatever you're facing, you're not by yourself. We are together in this. Now, when I began this message, I quoted 1 John chapter 4. I want us to read this together this morning, all right? We'll start with the reference, then we'll read the verse. Here we go, 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Satan is alive and well, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in.